Welcome to the On Your Left podcast, a political podcast talking about everything from education to abortion to Alyssa Milano. I'm Katrina Ames, and I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Nirali Shet, and I also use she, her pronouns. But before we get started, we just want to say that our podcast is now on both iTunes and Google Play, so please download and rate and review and do all the good things. It's very helpful. We do very much so appreciate our friends who listened to the first episode when we were not on anything, but now we're on stuff. Yes. Yeah. Being on things is nice. Can you imagine if we, back in the YouTube day, when we were, when we started making YouTube videos, if we had to like get our videos approved by someone before they went up? Oh my God. Think of all of the like Uh, terrible Harry Potter theories that wouldn't exist. Think of all of the people that just wouldn't be on the platform. So should we talk about the news? Uh, Yeah. My piece of news this week is about the new SAT adversity index. The college board which is apparently a non-profit for whatever, whatever. It's a non-profit. Okay. Uh, they administer. <laughs> it's a very rich yeah, non-profit. So much profit in this non-profit <laughs> because they're, they administer the SAT, which is taken by 2 million students every year. And lots of colleges and universities require an SAT score in the admissions process. Uh, but the SAT is going to start including a new rating on students' test results, which is being referred to as an adversity score as part of a larger environmental context dashboard that they send to colleges. This score is going to be calculated using 15 different factors, but the ones that are being most talked about is the relative quality of the student's high school, as well as the crime rate and poverty level of the neighborhood they live in. So the average score is designed to be 50. Most people will have half adversity, I guess. Uh, The higher the score, the more theoretical disadvantage that the student has faced or overcome. And the rating will not affect the SAT test scores in any way. Uh, There is some controversy around the SAT adversity score. But first, Norelli, I'd like to hear your thoughts. So my knee-jerk reaction to this was, this is a bad idea. Because first, quantifying someone's disadvantage just sounds wrong and dehumanizing. Um, I do understand why it, why they did it, because the college board and the SAT is inherently, inherently favors the wealthy and the Christian, which is part of the history of the SAT. Look it up. So first of all, the SATs themselves, as someone who did extremely well on the SATs, and it might have been the only reason why I got into college, the SATs were a bad idea. The SAT themselves were designed at a time when you would want to keep a certain class of people out of college and universities and keep them from accessing higher education. Basically, everyone that wasn't a white, Christian, male. That's kind of the end of the list. Yeah, yeah, white, Christian, male. But not... There were some women's colleges. Do you think it might have been... There were some. Do you think it might have been wasp males, or were Catholics allowed to? So, who knows? There, there were also already Catholic institutions that were doing higher education. Yeah. True, but a lot of wasps. A lot of wasps. As you were saying, higher SAT scores have been found to correlate with students from wealthier families and those with better educated parents. Uh, not only because either the parents can help them study for the SATs because they've taken them before. 
or because you can get private tutors and go to SAT classes and prepare for a test that is unlike any other test that you have ever taken. Which is what I did. I had private tutors. That's why I got a good score. That's why I got into college. Just to be clear, we knew the system and we had enough money to take advantage of it. I think it's a very valid criticism that the socioeconomic background in so many ways determined your outcome on a test that also plays into how the rest of your life goes if you're going to go to college. But there have been like several criticisms just with the adversity score, like it's being used to cover up the fundamental flaws of the test that exist because needing to add an advanced contextual framework about our disadvantages and socioeconomic background and educational background means that the test was not good or was in any way Mm merit-based like it claims to be. And it's just a test that's kind of weird and we all use it still anyways. Also, colleges already get a lot of that information, like which school you're you're applying from, what your socioeconomic background is because of financial aid packages and things like that. They already have a lot of that information that the college board is intending on using for this adversity score. So I just don't quite understand the point of it except the college board, the company wants to have that information. Uh, I mean, they do already have a lot of the information because most of the information that they're using and they're getting from public databases, like the crime Mm -hmm. data is coming from the FBI, all things that are also Mm -hmm. available to the university should they want to look at it. Exactly. So they're just assigning a number value to information that was already accessible to colleges should they choose to use it. Also, I think people are impacted differently from different things. So, yeah, I just think quantifying it is a very strange way of doing this and, like, trying to help the disadvantaged. But then again, the SAT is literally quantifying your intelligence. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a very valid criticism that quantifying our backgrounds isn't really possible and that the socioeconomic and educational background doesn't give an accurate picture of the hardships that a student has overcome or encountered in their Mm -hmm. life because it's only a small piece of their life and people are complicated and there are intersectional issues that this isn't going to address, specifically that of race. Yeah, so so they're not going to include race as a part of the the score, the adversity score? They are not going to do that. It is supposed to be race-blind. I will say, I believe in the SAT information, you also put down what race you are, though, so... You do, I, yes. <laughs> I don't think... Uh, it makes a real difference it not being included in the adversity score. But the mm-hmm. white guy that convinced a bunch of Asian kids from Harvard to sue, and is try- who is trying to dismantle all of... Affirmative all action. All of affirmative action, yeah. He's mm-hmm. he's in favor of the adversity index, so I don't know if I trust it. <laughs> yeah. Also, I can just see a million ways white wealthy families can take advantage of this by just moving their kids to a disadvantaged neighborhood for a few yeah. years. They they will go that far. We've seen how far wealthy people will go to get their kids into yeah, good colleges. Yeah, they're gonna gentrify a neighborhood and then send all their kids to private school. Yeah, or just like send their kid to to the public high school. That's that will give them a higher adversity score and then give them tutors for everything. Like, you, there are a million ways to take advantage of this. 
that I can think of. One specific example that keeps coming up is that uh, the -hmm. test wouldn't account for things like drug use or alcoholism in the home, especially as opioids are becoming a bigger part of our national conversation, as more and more people are becoming addicted to these substances. It's not taking account children that have to deal with that kind of adversity in their homes. Um, Another Mm -hmm. common criticism has been when you go to foster care, uh, that doesn't mean that you have that specific neighborhood as your background or that specific school as your background for an extended period of time. It might just be where you currently are in a system. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting criticism that I hadn't heard personally before, but it makes total sense. Also, if you're a kid who has to move around and be in foster care, your education is not going to be the same as if someone's been in the same school district for their whole life. So all of that makes a big difference in your background. And that's, if that's not going to be a part of the score, what's the point? Um, I do understand why they're doing this, though. I think in this case, their heart is in the right place. I think it's maybe moving in the right direction, uh, but it's going to take a couple mm-hmm. years to actually work out and see if this is in any way a useful or helpful tool for colleges or students. Yeah. Some colleges are now not requiring the SAT to apply, so they're, they were also phasing yeah. that out in the first place. Okay, so uh, You wanted to talk about some international news again this week? Yeah, um, Theresa May is gone. She's not quite gone yet. She's leaving June 7th. Um, But she has officially resigned from her position as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom um, in response to failing to uh, negotiate a deal for Brexit. And uh, she has tried three times to do that. And she also did things like call for a snap general election after promising that she wouldn't because she thought she would strengthen the Tory party that would let her make a Brexit deal and the opposite happened. Um, And then, yeah, she is just not, she wasn't the greatest prime minister in British history. Uh, Although I don't think there have been any good prime ministers in British history in my opinion. And if you say Winston Churchill, I will strongly disagree with you for many, many reasons. Yeah, I feel like you have opinions (laughs) on him for good reasons. Yeah, yeah. Google the Bengal famine. Um, I I can't think of a competent (laughs) British leader. Yeah, me neither. I honestly can't think of a single competent British prime minister. I'm wondering if this is just because the educational system in America is very like centered only on america yeah it could also be that we just may not know enough about the united kingdom um i don't know if you have any british listeners let us know who your favorite prime minister was that'd be cool to find out what happens next is uh the big question on everyone's minds now uh and from my understanding with the resignation of Theresa may the tory party still chooses who becomes prime minister next from the party leadership and um presumably that person will attempt to negotiate another brexit deal as the people of the country move further to the direction of wanting to stay in the european union um and uh yeah a a lot has been also made 
also a lot has been made about Theresa May uh, in the her speech uh, where she resigns, uh, tearing up a little bit and then swiftly turning around and walking away because uh, she got a little emotional while announcing her resignation. Um, and also there's been a lot said. There was a lot said when she started, uh, when she became prime minister, actually, about the glass cliff and how... A lot of the times a woman is put in charge of a failing thing in order to blame her for said thing. Um, for example, Yahoo, the company, put a female CEO in charge of the company as it was going downhill um, and losing stocks and things yeah. like that. That's a recent example. Yeah. That's uh, that's where a lot of the, the we should feel bad for Theresa May is coming from. But here is why I don't feel bad for Theresa May. Despite the fact that she was against Brexit, people point to her anti-immigration record. Prior to becoming prime minister, she was very, very vehemently anti-immigrant and uh, may have stoked that sentiment among the people who were for Brexit. And uh, then once she became prime minister, she insisted that Brexit happens because it was the will of the people. And uh, guess what, Theresa May, it was no longer the will of the people. (laughs) That's what happens when people realize, oh, we're going to lose like our medicine and food if we don't make trade deals with this continent, which is what the what being in the European Union is. It's a bunch of trade deals, especially because you don't use their currency. A mess. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of negative things about uh, the euro itself and being in the European Union. If you look at countries like Greece and Spain and how they got into severe debt and uh, basically became bankrupt countries at one point or another. Um, but the UK did not have that problem because they stuck to their British pr- pound. Yeah. And also, uh, like all elected office, uh, being prime minister is voluntary. You can say no. If you're not up to the job, you can just not volunteer as tribute. Or once you get in, you can you can resign sooner. Uh, she has been dangling resignation for months now, and she's finally resigning. So um, yeah. maybe you should have gotten on that a little yeah, bit sooner. I think it was after the second Brexit vote uh, when she said, if this Mm -hmm. passes, I will resign. And it got more people to vote for her plan. Maybe she shouldn't. But not enough. She could have resigned either way, though. Nothing was stopping her. Yeah, she could have just resigned. But as for what happens next, again, I highly recommend Ash Sarkar's uh, guide to the Tory candidates for prime minister on her Twitter. While not very informative... It is very hilarious. And you, if you want real information about British politics from the left, um, that is also pretty hilarious. Uh, I highly recommend Novara Media, which is Ash Sarkar's company. Um, we will link her Twitter thread of the candidates in yeah. the show notes. It's all a bit of a mess in the UK. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like saying it's all a bit of a mess is maybe the most British way to put British politics. I want to talk a little bit more about Theresa May crying, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. It's been pointed out that Theresa May didn't cry when Greenfell Tower burned to the ground with people in it. She didn't cry when her administration's policies led to people who had lived in the UK for their entire lives, known as the Windrush Generation, who had moved to the UK as children, but because they were technically citizens of British colonies, they were not citizens of Britain, and were threatened with deportation in the past couple years. She didn't cry for those people. I actually know a family who 
was in that yeah. situation. It's no. not fun because India was a British colony. Yeah. She didn't cry at any of these moments, but cried when things personally affected her. And I don't think she should be rewarded for feeling bad for herself, but not showing empathy to her people, the people that she was supposed to be in charge of and protect and make their lives better as politicians are supposed to do and serve the people. I don't really have sympathy for white women crying over themselves uh, since white women's tears have <laughs> been used to systematically oppress and dismiss the concerns of people of color, so. Very, very good point. We don't care for your white tears, Theresa May. Should we jump back across the pond to our uh, little country? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's jump back to America, the former British colony, mm -hmm. as we like to call it. Although some of it was Spanish colony. And some of it was French colony. And some of it should have never been a colony in the first place. Whatever. Actually, all of it should yeah. have never been a colony in the first place. Yeah. That really is yeah. the case here, isn't it? I thought we would keep up with the theme of today's episode with education news. And what the 2020 mm -hmm. candidates have done and said about various different kinds of educational policy. Uh, education is a really broad, has a really yeah. broad scope. I was first looking into this. There seemed to be four main topics um, of contention, sort of, um, think, or four topics that were being discussed in within education. Rina, I know you did some research on school safety. Uh, if you want to start talking about that subject. Yes, I, I would like to. So I think mm -hmm. we should start by saying... What school safety means in 2019 is guns, for whatever reason. Guns are what we're talking about when we talk about school safety. Maybe it's because Betsy DeVos thinks teachers need guns in order to shoot a bear. I don't know. Yeah, it might have to do with, with all of the school shootings, but um, I think that's a big part of it. But also, it shouldn't be the only thing that's being discussed in terms yep. of school safety. I think there's a lot of other yeah. stuff going on. But anyway, guns. guns. Yes. Eric Swalwell, the representative for California's 15th congressional district, has been running for president and has adopted gun violence prevention as one of the signature issues of his campaign because when he was first elected to Congress, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in Newton, Connecticut took place. And he thought Congress should have acted, and then they didn't. Mm -hmm. They did not act in a way that would have prevented the problem from happening again, and he was then inspired by the students of the Parkland school shooting at Majory Stoneman Douglas to be more vocal about this issue that is affecting literal children all over the country. But I think it's interesting that we have kind of lived with gun violence and school safety going together for a very long time for a huge part of our lives because Columbine happened when we were very, very young. Um, and then I remember when the Virginia Tech shooting happened. I remember watching that on the news. I remember, which I w we were maybe in third or fourth grade when that happened. Probably about that, yeah. And then... 
Like, I remember all of these school shootings happening. I will say, I do not remember um, Columbine at all. Yeah. No, I don't remember Columbine, but, uh, but after that, I remember all of these school shootings happening, and it's, it's something that we've lived with uh, our whole lives, which, and nothing's been nothing's done about Nothing's been it. done, and now it's getting to the point where it's hard to keep all of the school shootings straight because they keep happening so much and so frequently. Yeah. Which is why it makes sense that school safety equals gun violence at this point in time. We should Um, solve this problem. Yeah. So I do appreciate that the Democratic candidates are taking it seriously and actually making, building their platforms around it. Tim Ryan, who is a representative for Ohio's 13th Congressional District, has spoken out specifically against arming teachers as a way to prevent gun violence in schools. Shout out to Betsy DeVos for coming up with that brilliant Ooh. idea. Yeah. Uh. Go her. <laughs> Great idea, arming mm-hmm. teachers. Um, I am also against arming teachers in school. I don't think adding guns is going to significantly prevent gun violence from happening in any way. Yeah, making it easier for students to find the guns is going to make it less likely to happen. Uh, Also, because should emergency services arrive on scene, I don't think they'll be able to tell a shooter from the teacher holding a gun and having a black little brother... I don't want any of his teacher's arms since I've already seen how he is disciplined in fourth grade more severely for things that me and my brothers who are not black have gotten away with very easily. God, that's awful. I don't want any of his teachers to have guns. I know they were also my former teachers. I don't think they should have them. Alright, um, speaking of another black man, uh... Wang Messam, the mayor of Miramar, Florida, has pledged to reduce gun violence by 50% in his first term. Wow. Um, has he outlined how exactly? In a lot of states, it's illegal for cities to regulate firearms and ammunition. He thinks local officials should be able to make and enforce their own rules. And as the mayor of Miramar, Florida, he did file a lawsuit against the state seeking to nullify that law in order to enact gun laws and get rid of the penalties for creating gun laws uh, in 2011. Oh, that's good. Um, okay, so he, so it sounds like he wants uh, cities to have the power to make stronger gun control yeah. laws. He also wants to um, do things like expanding background checks and uh, making it so people on the no-fly list can't access guns, which, sure, that's a good policy. It's weird that we don't have that. If they're not allowed to fly, it's probably for a reason. (laughs) Um, Okay, what about John Hickenlooper? Uh, Governor John Hickenlooper was the governor of Colorado, and he signed two landmark gun bills 
and has argued that gun control measures would make schools safer. I agree. I don't believe he has addressed new policies in our national conversation yet, but I do think his past actions Mm -hmm. do indicate that he cares about this issue and that he's arguing Mm -hmm. that gun controls make measures would make schools safer if school safety is just about guns then yeah gun control would make it safer yeah i agree that gun control measures would make schools safe from guns so let's stop talking about guns and start talking about like actual school issues um other educational Um, policies that a lot of candidates have opinions on or have done things in the past about is a charter schools. The first person we're gonna talk about is Cory Booker, and as he is your senator, Mm -hmm. and you went to the same high school as him, would you like to kick us off? Cory, 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 (laughs) Cory. When Cory Booker was mayor of Newark, he uh, solicited tens of millions of dollars from wealthy donors to overhaul the school system. So in order to court these wealthy donors, he had to uh, say things that they liked, like, Uh, let's do corporate-style management of schools, and then he implemented policies to reflect that and make things appear more corporate, and uh, because of that, charter schools started thriving. Um, And uh, once charter schools became his main focus, um, the charter school sector was thriving, and uh, research showed that performance was improving, and But the issue was that traditional schools or public schools um, that served a majority of the city's kids faced major, major budget deficits, uh, which were in part thanks to uh, former Governor Chris Christie, who uh, screwed public schools over in New Jersey majorly. Um, (laughs) As someone who went to public school in New Jersey, he was... Chris Christie was quite terrible for public schools, and Cory Booker focusing on charter schools in Newark especially um, did not help, especially because Newark is specifically a city with a massive uh, population of underprivileged people, um, and he faced major backlash from teacher unions, um, and which obviously he faced major backlash from teacher unions because... The majority of teachers teach in public schools. One of the policies that he implemented when he was talking about making corporate management uh, was that mm-hmm. principal should act as CEO, and he tied teacher bonuses to student performance. Yes, which, as we were talking about the SAT section of this podcast, we're not the biggest fan of uh, test scores and things like that being a great indicator of school performance, which is if you want to quantify school performance, you look at test scores. Like, that's the only thing you can really do. As a student, I've had lots of ups and downs, but uh, most of the times when I was doing poorly and performing poorly as a student, it had absolutely nothing to do with my teachers and absolutely everything Mm -hmm. to do with my personal and home life. And I don't think my Mm -hmm. teacher should be rewarded or punished based on my performance in any way. And Cory Booker, from the second he announced his candidacy, has faced a lot of tough questions that he hasn't quite been able to answer well about his uh, past with charter schools and his focus on them. Um, And a lot of uh, people who uh, still live in Newark do feel a little bit betrayed by him because of this. Do you want to take Elizabeth Warren? Uh, Yeah, Elizabeth Warren uh, hasn't said 
a lot about charter schools, but she did once say that for-profit charter schools are a real problem and she has sided with Bernie Sanders as well on this as they both agree that they need to eliminate for-profit charter schools. Uh, there mm-hmm. are non-profit charter schools as well, but I think starting with for-profit schools makes a lot of sense as a policy. Yeah, that just makes sense. For-profit charter schools, they literally rely on wealthy people to keep giving them more and more money. Yeah. And then what's this on... What's the ban? Uh, yes. Uh Bernie Sanders also agreed to ban for-profit charter schools. Since Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders did want to eliminate uh, and ban for-profit charter schools, Bernie Sanders has also proposed a temporary ban on government spending for new non-profit charter schools. Uh, so it wouldn't touch the funding for any non-profit charter school that's currently existing and that students go mm-hmm. to. You don't want to negatively impact students in any way, but this will just stop new schools from opening and asking for government funding. Okay. Um, and then there's... Uh, who is Tim Ryan? Uh, Tim again? Ryan, the congressman from Ohio. Tim Ryan, a congressman from Ohio who happens to be running for president. Um, he introduced the Charter School Accountability Act to increase the oversight of charter schools. Most schools are overseen by state and local governments, um, including Mm -hmm. charter schools, and they can have inconsistent uh, oversight, as there were even some schools that are overseen by private companies because it's outsourced by the local governments, and the private companies have a vested economic interest in the school succeeding. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like corruption. But the Charter School Accountability Act is a bill in the House, um, or was a bill in the House from 2015 to 2016. Um, It looks like the the last action that was taken on it was in 2016. And it was to, let's see. It is the purpose of this part to provide authorization and support for public charter schools providing second elementary and secondary education as a means to test and learn from innovations aimed at improving the education of all students and strengthening public education, evaluate the impact of such schools on student achievement, families, and communities, and share best practices among charter schools and other public schools, and, ooh, this is nice, expand opportunities for children with disabilities, students who are English learners, and other traditionally underserved students to attend charter schools and meet the challenging state academic standards under XYZ section. This actually looks like a really good bill. Um, I wish it had gone further than it did in the house, but I'm glad it exists. I'm glad it's, like, on paper. I hope we can get it reintroduced because I think adding oversight to something that has been very corrupt in some places, at the very least. Not Mm -hmm. everywhere, but it has been very corrupt and has charter schools shutting down because they cannot afford to stay open. Uh, Having oversight and data and giving schools the opportunity to share best practices with other schools. All good things that would serve Mm -hmm. students and communities. Right. And then uh, our favorite uh, gay mayor, our only gay mayor, (laughs) Pete Buttigieg, 
uh, told PBS NewsHour uh, that he believes charter schools have a place in the school ecosystem, but that they shouldn't replace investment in traditional public schools, which is a uh, statement I guess I agree with. Yeah, it's 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 a middle of the road thing to say. It's not like he he doesn't believe in. It sounds like he doesn't believe in ending for-profit charter schools the way Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren do. Um, he also doesn't have uh, Cory Booker's past of really supporting charter schools to the extent that it hurts public schools. So, um, uh, moving on to teacher pay. What's first? What's your um, opinion on teacher pay? Uh, teachers should be paid more. That's my opinion. That, that's also my stance. Uh, teachers should be paid more yeah. because they're not paid enough, and when teachers aren't paid enough, students don't get the education they need. Also, teachers are humans who deserve deserve to live. Kamala Harris was the first person to really come up with a plan on teacher pay. Uh, she proposed the federal government spend three hundred and fifteen billion dollars to increase teacher salaries over the next ten years. Her plan would give every teacher a, about a $13,500 pay increase in her first term by increasing taxes on the rich. That amount of money can be life-changing. Senator Amy Klobuchar has supported Kamala Harris's plan to increase federal spending to increase teacher pay uh, through taxation. Mm -hmm. And Senator Klobuchar has said that investing in education would be one of her top budget priorities as president. Uh, uh, Washington Governor Jay Inslee, who, although oh. he is basing his entire campaign around climate change, uh, he mm -hmm. did s specifically tout that teacher pay had gone up during his tenure as governor. So good for him. Good for him. I think that's a good thing. Um, that teacher pay yeah. went up. I, yeah, it sounds like Jay Inslee yeah. does good things. In the United States, 44.2 million people owe more than $1.5 trillion in student debt, with the average borrower owing more than $30,000. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's an expensive problem to have to be educated. Uh, which is why several presidential candidates have proposed solutions to the student debt crisis, which is destroying a generation's financial futures. This is true. Um, and we've we've said in the past that we will uh, jump on board of anyone who uh, wants to uh, eliminate student debt. Luckily, uh, quite a few of our candidates have released plans that do similar things or just that. Yeah. Let's talk the Debt-Free College Act of 2019. This act would provide federal funding to colleges that commit to helping students pay for admission and avoid acquiring debt, and was co-sponsored by uh, the lovely candidates Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Cory Booker, and Kamala Harris. And Bernie Sanders has been talking big game about uh, free college for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, I remember in 2016 he was discussing this, and um, it's uh, and his policy is uh, the College for All Act uh, to make public universities tuition free, and it would provide 47 billion dollars per year to states to eliminate undergrad tuition and fees at public universities. 
for families bringing in less than $125,000 annually. Uh, and this measure is also supported by Tulsi Gabbard and Julianne Castro. I like it. I mean, it doesn't get rid of the problem of private universities uh, taking up mm-hmm. all of our money, but yeah. it would help a lot of people and it would be a massive investment in our public infrastructure and education. Public education is still very, very expensive. Yes. Uh, so this would help so many people and it would make public education a good option for a lot of people who maybe weren't even thinking of going to college in yeah. the first place. But now that they see it as an option because they wouldn't have to pay tuition for yeah. it, like they could pursue different opportunities and discover yeah. something new. Uh, it'd also be nice uh, because out-of-state tuition for public universities is often very expensive. And I'm sure there are a lot of young women in Alabama who don't want to go to uh, Alabama schools anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Understandably so. Roll Tide. So, Elizabeth Warren has a plan. Of course she has a plan. Of course she does. Um, And her her plan would cancel (laughs) student debt for more than 95% of people with student loan debt and pay for it with a tax on the top. 0.1% 0.1% of Americans. That's not a lot of Americans. That's a lot of Americans. And um, you can see what your debt, total student debt would be uh, for her mm-hmm. plan at elizabethwarren.com slash debt. I did it. It was fun. Uh, I did not have student loan debt at the end of it with her plan. So... That's nice. I, I don't want you to have debt. I don't want anyone to have yeah. debt. I have slightly more debt than the average American. And mm-hmm. under Elizabeth Warren's plan, I would be debt-free based on my income and how much I owe and what kind of school I went to. That's yeah. amazing. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's plan would also create universal free public college, eliminate tuition and fees for two-year and four-year public universities, technical training, mm-hmm. trade school, and community college. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah, all great. That's great. And um, that 0.1% of Americans are people whose net worth is more than $50 million. I don't... To my knowledge... I don't know anyone who has yeah, that to money. To my knowledge, nobody I know has a net worth of over $50 million and would not be contributing or to this through their taxes. But if I do know someone who has a net worth of over $50 million and wants to suddenly have, like, $49.9 million, hit me up. okay i can take this one andrew yang wants to make higher education institutions track how much debt students take on how long it will take for them to pay it off and which majors will incur the most debt and put it in a federal database so students can make better financial decisions about their education um i think this is a great idea and it sounds very very like ridiculously easy to implement um I don't understand why higher education institutions aren't doing this already, uh, except for the fact that they want to keep their students in the dark about how much money they'll owe, because then they won't have students or they'll have to lower their rates. But um, I think this is a great idea. Uh, The only thing that I'm a little iffy on is the whole which majors will incur the most debt, because it's just going to give STEM more reason to crap on the humanities. Uh, 
and give the humanities less funding. And then in five years, we're going to be wondering once again, what is with all, with all of this fake news? And it's like, you should have taken a couple of humanities classes. Yeah, so that's like, I, yeah, it's again with the whole quantifying something that's somewhat unquantifiable, which is like, which majors will incur the most debt? I don't know how I feel about that, but it it does make sense in terms of like making smart financial decisions and things like that. I think it makes sense. And maybe you can still become an English major, but you might have a business minor or something like that, just so you have some more knowledge about business. So you understand your field and things like that. I think overall, there's not usually a big difference between majors in schools, how expensive it is and how mm-hmm. much that is getting taken on, uh, on average. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Andrew Yane's plan is comprehensive enough, but I do think we need more data that is publicly available. If you have some sort of website that where you can plug in your major, plug in the school you're going to, and plug in like how much your family makes or whatever, um, because that's how financial aid works. Uh, and then you can see how much your how much debt you're going to have to take on, and then how long it'll take you to pay it off. Like, it'll make life so much easier for at least for planning for your future. I think. John Delaney mm-hmm. has an interesting proposal uh, that has suggests reforming laws that stop borrowers who have declared bankruptcy from discharging their student loans. Because currently, your student loans do not go away if you declare bankruptcy, despite the fact that you don't have money to pay for them. That's... How? How? I... Yeah, the see, Andrew Yang and John Delaney's policies are things that should have just already been in place to not take advantage of young people who have to sign away their lives in order to get better education. These are very practical, feasible plans mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people would be on board for. They're maybe not the boldest claims that you could make and maybe not the most visionary things, but they're practical steps. Yeah. That we could easily implement now or within the next mm-hmm. two years. Yeah, And it would make a lot of people's lives better. And I would like that. Yeah. I think these are excellent ideas that can also go hand in hand with one of the more bold proposals of trying to eliminate debt. Uh, because while someone is fighting the battle to eliminate debt, you can create these systems that at least stop private universities and uh, money lenders from taking advantage of this broken system. We shouldn't discount small improvements that can be made to help people now while searching Mm -hmm. for a bold, sweeping plan that could take a long time to implement, but would ultimately be best. Talking about people who have taken advantage of people in a broken system and fundamentally (laughs) destroyed people's lives in the hope of giving them educational opportunities... Let's talk about Donald Trump. So the White House has a 2020 budget proposal that would eliminate the public service loan forgiveness program 
that allows borrowers who have made 120 qualifying monthly loan payments and have maintained full-time employment in either a government organization or nonprofit to apply for a loan forgiveness. That means if you have been steady on your monthly loan payments, you've been paying them, and if you have had a job in for 120 yeah, that's, months, that's, that's a very a long decade. time. That's 10 years. That's 10 years. Um, and if you've held and if you're in a government or nonprofit jobs job, two two jobs that don't pay well historically, they don't pay well. Um, you're not allowed to apply for student loan forgiveness after 10 years of regularly paying your bills and doing public good. This was not an Obama-era program. That's not why he's getting rid of it. The Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program was instituted by George W. Bush following the 2008 recession. And just this year, the first people who would have been who would have been able to apply for student loan forgiveness have come into their 10 years of payment. It's a ve- it has a very low uh, acceptance rate due to other institutional problems. But I don't think the solution to having a poorly executed program is to eliminate the program. No, it's to improve the program, especially when it's trying to do a good thing, like help government employees and nonprofit workers. Uh, Government employees also include teachers who should be paid more. Mm -hmm. We should also talk about an Obama era rule that was recently frozen. Uh, Secretary DeVos, a couple years ago, froze an Obama-era rule that allowed students to erase their student debt if their school committed financial fraud. Uh, So I think I am going to talk about uh, Trump University for a hot second here. Go for it. Trump University committed financial fraud. Students of Trump University who, for some reason, have not uh, tried to erase their debt already, uh, wouldn't be able to. If I have to take on debt... To attend a school that is using my money in fraudulent manners, I shouldn't have that debt. Donald Trump doesn't care about your student debt. And all of the people we just talked about before talking about Donald Trump do. So I feel like we're riled up enough for uh, our rant wheel segment. Yeah, I think I'm ready to go. (laughs) So we talked about the president. Now let's talk about the king. The Burger King. (laughs) Burger King is using their new app to sell burgers, a normal thing for restaurants to do. But in exchange Mm -hmm. for buying a burger through their app, they have a new marketing campaign that allows you to enter a lottery to pay one month of your student loans. I have some feelings about this. Like, (laughs) man, you announced this on Twitter and actually sent some money to some people through the cash app that's great i'll take your money i don't like burger king i think their food tastes bad unless they want to sponsor me to change my mind their food tastes bad i I like the hershey sunday pie but that's it okay (laughs) it's fine for people to have differing opinions i think it's an excellent thing to do to have to institute a policy, even just a lottery system, it's this brilliant marketing that is bringing more attention to the conversation around how there is millions of people in very deep debt. Uh, but also, 
pay your workers more than a minimum wage, pay off their student debt, help people get through college that work for you, Burger King. Come on. It's ridiculous to, that they're, they're literally commodifying a whole generation's misery or multiple generations of misery because of student loans. That's what they're doing. They're, they're selling you burgers yeah. for and saying, maybe we'll lessen your misery a little bit because you might win the lottery with our burgers. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's just, it makes me feel icky. Um, <laughs> speaking of things that make me feel icky, um, there is a woman, an actress, who um, doesn't seem to recognize her country anymore. Um, the, uh, so Alyssa Milano, in response to a Hill article about Ohio bracing for a KKK rally, um, quote tweeted that and said, I don't recognize my country anymore. And then after getting some uh, responses from uh, non-white people being like, uh, if you don't recognize your country anymore, you haven't been paying attention. She, uh, she said, my friend, Miss Pacchietti just DM'd me. She explained how this has always been this country. I'm, ho- I'm horrified. I am angry. I've not only lived a privileged life, but also a bizarrely sheltered one. I've been on set on a set since I was seven years old, a diverse set, a set of total inclusion. And then <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> and then someone in response to that wrote, how did you not know this? You are well educated in so much of the oppression and degradation of that this country represents, and you have become an activist for those things. How did you miss this? Uh, this being racism. Um, and she wrote, didn't miss racism, just hoped we were well past it. We elected a black president. KKK parades are shocking to me. I wish they were shocking to everyone. (laughs) And, okay, so, um, instead of responding directly to Alyssa Milano, I'm going to tell you a story. And that story takes place when, uh, when I was in the eighth grade, um, President Obama was elected to become our president and then became the president and the day after the inauguration ceremony, uh, my uh, language arts teacher had us all respond to a writing prompt in our journals. And that prompt was, is racism over now that we have a black president? And this was my eighth grade response to that. No, racism is not over just because we have a black president. Racism is not over <laughs> No, racism is not over just because we have a black president. Because white supremacy still exists. White supremacy is still a thing that permeates our society. And just because we have one black president doesn't erase the 43 previous white presidents we had before. And also slavery. And also Jim Crow. And also just all of the racism that has been in our country and continues to be in our country. And I also was very much like... If racism were really over, we wouldn't be applauding so loudly at the fact that we have a black president. It would just be normal and we would be focusing more on Obama's policies and Obama's opinions than the fact that he is black. Because 
I was, I was really annoyed by that prompt, which was given by a white female teacher to a classroom that was mostly white Anglo-Saxon Protestant kids. Um, and memorably, we had one black student in our grade. In the whole grade? And uh, in the whole grade in my school, that's... That's where Cory Booker grew up. He grew up in Townover. Um, if you're wondering why he is the way he is. Um, <laughs> it's because he was probably the only black kid in the grade. Um, and uh, so it was mostly white people in the class. There were probably, we were probably around 10% Asian. Uh, like, and that was mostly Korean kids. And then a smattering of Indian kids. And one black kid. She poses this question to us. I stare back, horrified. And that was me in eighth grade. So um, that was, uh, I was, what, 14 years old? I'm 24 now. So um, I'm not going to respond to Alyssa Milano. I'm just, I'm I'm not going to do it because I already responded. When I was in eighth grade, when I was 14 years old, I was smarter than Alyssa Milano is in her, what, mid-30s. Because when she was seven, she lived on set. I think I said a lot on Twitter about, like, my personal experiences and growing up and mm-hmm. being born in the city that was once the New York State capital of the KKK and whatever. It was not great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not great. Racism's not over at all. You You shouldn't be pulling the whole... But we had a black president thing because we know who came next. He was super racist. Uh, mm-hmm. But I will say, I recently watched Charmed for the first time. Charmed is—it's a fun Charmed show. It's a very fun early two thousand show that Alyssa Milano was mm-hmm. starring in. Yeah, I, uh, I watched it, and in the first season, my husband like looked up of hit, looked up the cast on Google and it showed mm-hmm. everyone's pictures and there was one black man and this was this was yep. after watching two or three episodes and I said oh nothing bad is ever going to happen to that black guy he makes it through the whole series and lives because they're not going mm-hmm. to kill off their only black character and I haven't finished yeah. season 8 but it seems like I'm right I mean speaking of her set of total inclusion John Cho was in one episode that's true he wasn't one episode. <laughs> total and inclusion. It was the best episode. I love him as a ghost. <laughs> Maybe the total inclusion was the new Charmed, which has a black lead. Did Alyssa Milano just like regress in age? I know that happens in Hollywood sometimes, where you just lose years in age, and she's seven years old now, and on set of the new Charmed, uh, which is more diverse. I feel like we mentioned John Cho, and that's enough to get me in like a good news mindset. Yeah, John Cho is good. We like, like John Cho. Selfie should never have been canceled. Oh my god, right? It was so good. It had so much potential. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. And I didn't figure out it was a My Fair Lady retelling until the finale. I don't think I've ever actually seen My Fair Lady, so you're good. So I didn't I, I was today years old when I realized yeah. that. So some good news. My piece of good news this week is that billionaire Robert F. Smith, who was the founder of Vista Equity and is the richest black man in America, made an announcement during the commencement speech for Morehouse 
that his family would create a grant to pay off the student loans of every member of Morehouse's 2019 graduating class. Which... That's incredible. Right? I remember just seeing that news on my timeline, just as a headline, and my jaw dropped. I was like, it's amazing. It's, it's great. This is going to fundamentally change the lives of the 396 young men that graduated from this HBCU in 2019. And that's amazing, especially since black students do, on average, have to take on more debt to attend school. And he also challenged the other alumni of the school to start paying off the debt of future classes during his commencement speech, which way to throw down a gauntlet. Mm -hmm. I love the drama of it. I, I truly do. Yeah. And yes, I know this doesn't solve institutional problems surrounding student debt, but he's a private citizen, not a politician, and I think this drastically changes the lives of these 396 young men. It is a $10 million investment in their future, and is an example of someone who is incredibly fortunate working within a broken system to help people while everyone else gets to work on fixing the system. You know what? This is what billionaires should be doing. It's literally the only thing billionaires should be doing. Billionaires should be doing things to make them stop being billionaires by giving away their wealth to stop the student loan crisis. Go Robert F. Smith. And of course, it's the richest black man in America doing this. What's your piece of good news this week, Gnarly? On Friday, uh, students from 1,600 cities from around the world staged a mass walkout to protest climate change and it was started by a 16 year old swedish activist named greta thunberg and this is the second walkout uh it started last year so i'm assuming she's 17 at this point but there is a great time magazine article with amazing pictures um and a and a great profile of greta thunberg herself um about climate change and um how she wants to continue striking until Sweden is aligned with the goals of the Paris Agreement, um, which, uh, in case you don't remember, the U.S. left. But she wants an international climate movement organized by young people, and it's it's incredible. It's, it's so amazing to see a 16-year-old take on such a huge, huge problem in society in this way and organizing so many people um in this way and she does give a lot of credit to local organizers and things like that but the fact that it was started by a 16 year old it really speaks to the way student movements have really spearheaded a lot of national and international conversation around the world and it's amazing it is great i am very proud of this young woman who has been doing so much work and brought so much attention to this and has met with uh, national leaders to try to get us on track with the world because we are slowly killing the planet that she's going to have to live on longer than the rest of us most likely. Mm-hmm. So we gotta get our act together or yeah. uh, or we'll disappoint her and I feel like if we disappoint her we'll all get really sad. I, I think Mangoes would be very disappointed if uh if climate change took them away. Or I think we would be very disappointed if mangoes disappeared because of yeah, climate change. A lot of crops will disappear due to climate change. And we can't let mm-hmm. that happen. I like coffee. I like chocolate. I like mangoes. We're not letting them get in danger. No, yeah. we're not. Um, 
So, uh, do you want to know our fun mango fact of the day? Oh, I would love to hear the mango fact of the day. Our fun mango fact of the day is that Spain is the only country in Europe that can grow mangoes, which they do in on the continent in Andalusia and in the Canary Islands. Europe grows mangoes too. Thank you everyone for listening to the On Your Left podcast. Uh, we are now, once again, on Google Play and iTunes, if you would like to check us out and let us know what your preferred podcast service is, and we'll do our best to get on there. Uh, I'm Katrina Ames. Thank you for listening. I'm Nirali Shet. Thanks for listening. We will see you guys next week with another On Your Left pod.